Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for uh, giving me a taste of Florida weather this morning. I appreciate that. I got soaked coming out of my place to get in the car. I kept thinking, it's going to ease up, it's going to ease up, and it didn't. So I just dashed for the car. That doesn't bother me too much. I remember a brother in North Carolina one time, he, it, pouring rain outside, pouring rain, and we didn't have that covered area to get out of the car, so everybody came in dripping wet, and he got up and said, boy, the devil hates people who get out in the rain like this, because they don't burn well. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. I'd rather be wet, so I don't burn too well. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming this morning. I want to begin by uh, looking at Psalm 142, verse 4. Psalm 142, verse 4. This is a uh, <clears throat> statement made by David when he was on the run from Saul. He says, Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. You know, we've gone through a fairly dark period, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when, when we mention the word COVID, a generation says, what? I don't know what that is. We've just gotten so far beyond it, but we're not there yet. And I know during that period, there may have been times when you, like I thought, do I even have connection with people anymore? Do I even have people who care for my soul? And I know we had members in our congregation like that. The need for connection was so great, and it simply wasn't there. We've tried digging ourselves out from that and getting back to this point. You've already heard both from Roger and Jason, that we're going to be talking about fellowship. But I'm going to be using a word you see behind me here. Look, I'm going to tell you up front, I am not a Greek scholar. I'm not even a good Greek student. I know a little Greek. He's a guy that runs a restaurant down the street from us, and he has great food. But that's about the extent of that. But I want to tell you why a non-Greek professor slash student would keep using through this series the word koinonia. That's the word, koinonia. And I'm going to use that word in place of the word it is often translated by. More often than not, this word koinonia is translated fellowship. But when we talk about fellowship, I think we talk about it on a very shallow level. Forgive me if that hurts your feelings, but I hope by the end of this series, I will have proven to have stated the truth here. We talk about fellowship in ways that indicate it has been both neglected and abused by us, neglected and abused by us. I don't think we really understand the deepness of this word. So I'm going to keep using that word. I know Ron's here and he's a, he's a, a student of Greek and 
uh, probably a professor of Greek. That'd be my luck. But I'm going to abuse this word. I'm going to use it in ways that a Greek professor would wince. But I'm doing it on purpose so that you will stop and think about the word. I want you to think about the word. Rather than make the assumption, I know exactly what you mean. I want you to hear it and then have to process it so that we can move deeper and deeper and deeper into what this word means. Let's, let me begin with this. I want to show you what I mean by that. I'm in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you've got your Bibles and want to turn there, that's fine. If you want to just listen to it, and I'm going to show you some things about this verse on the slide as we move through this lesson. The church has just been formed. 3,000 people have suddenly become not just Christians, but brothers and sisters. They've become related to each other. Imagine moving into a family of adopted people, and there are 2,999 of them. New brothers and sisters. I'll tell you, if ever you could make an argument that a family ought to have name tags, that's it. How can you remember all those people? And what kind of relationship can you possibly have with people in that kind of circumstance? All of them new to the family of God. And this verse says something so powerful. It says, okay, here's where we begin. Here's how we begin being the Lord's church. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, a couple of things about that. First of all, this idea that they were continually devoting themselves to it. It wasn't something they just taught. Hey, we're going to have a class on the Apostles' Doctrine today. And then tomorrow we're going to have a class on fellowship. And then the next day we'll have one on the breaking of bread. And then we'll have a class on prayer and we're done. We'll have that. It wasn't just they were teaching it. And it wasn't just that they were memorizing those things. It is they were, they were devoting themselves to it. And it doesn't even use the word devote. Devote's a pretty strong word in and of itself. If I said to you, I am devoted to my wife... I'm devoted to her. And you said, well, tell me about her. And I said, well, I don't know that much about her, really. I mean, I, th I think she was born in Jacksonville, but I'm not sure. Don't hold me to that. Well, what's her name, Paula? What's her middle name? I don't remember that. I think you'd say, you're lying. You're not devoted to her. When you're devoted to somebody, you continually concentrate on that. And then this goes even further. It doesn't just say they were devoted. It says they were continually devoting themselves. Continually devoting themselves. And what were they devoting themselves to? Look at these things. The apostles' doctrine. Now, I want you to think about your church here. Think about this. <clears throat> How important is the apostles' doctrine to this church? And I think most of you would say, well, it's absolutely vital. I mean... Roger, Jason, and others, they wouldn't even have a sermon if we didn't have the Apostles' Doctrine. I mean, it's the, it's the basis on which we 
find our lives. It's, it's what God wants us to do. It's absolutely vital. We devote ourselves to that. I mean, we concentrate on that. We have classes all the time. We got sermons all the time. We have special series going on all the time. We have summer things going on. We devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine. I say, that's good. That's good. What about prayer? How important is prayer to this church? Well, we've already heard prayers. We talk about prayer. We'll have more prayers. You are encouraged to pray all the time. You pray over your meals. You pray when you go to bed. You pray during the day. You pray when you're in bad traffic. Lord, deliver me. We pray all the time. We devote ourselves to it, don't we? Most of us would say, even if we don't, we'd say we should. I mean, that's a vital part of what we are as Christians. It's how we connect to God. Could you be the Christian you want to be without prayer? Mm-mm. There is no way. And what about the breaking of bread? The breaking of bread, what we just participated in as our brother led us in those thoughts. You say, oh, well, Ralph, <laughs> I mean, it's what we do every Sunday. Every Sunday we're here. And we take time for that. And we encourage people to be here for that. It is what defines us as the people of God. And then we come to this one. Fellowship. And and most of us would say, we have fellowship. But I'm not sure most of us would say, "Oh, oh, listen... We continually devote ourselves to that because most of us, to be honest, think of fellowship as a byproduct of those other things. Because we're studying together, because we're taking the Lord's Supper together, because we pray together and sing together and worship together, because of that, we have fellowship. But I want you to note the two things about this that are critical before we leave this verse. Number one, look at the company fellowship is keeping. Look at how important it is. See, here's the thing. You might say about the apostles' teaching, oh, absolutely devoted, absolutely, continually devote ourselves. Prayer, continually there. Lord's Supper, continually there. Fellowship, and so-so. But we don't feel bad about saying that. Some of us in this building right now would say, my fellowship with these other people is pretty minimal. I mean, it, it probably consists of walking in the doors, greeting a few people, shaking hands, sitting down next to people, smiling when they come into my sector of the building, maybe asking somebody how they're doing, and then getting in my car and going back home and waiting till next week, I do it all over again. That's the extent of my fellowship with these people. And I want to tell you something. If, that, if I just stated your condition, oh, you so need what we're talking about. But you're not the only one that needs it. All those around you in your sector need it. Because they're also responsible for your welfare in the body of Christ. Look at the company this keeps. 
This is not a byproduct. This is something the first century church concentrated its efforts on. Koinonia. Koinonia. They were continually devoting themselves to that. So, let's translate our word. Koinonia. First of all, it is... um, Before we get into that, I I think some of you may say, you know, uh, is this this subject really that important? Fellowship. I mean, it just seems like it naturally happens. I want to tell you, there is an entire book in the New Testament written specifically and exclusively about koinonia. 1 John. The entire book is about having fellowship with God and Christ and each other. An entire book. Do you know an entire book written about the Lord's Supper? I don't. Do you know an entire book written about prayer or baptism? I don't. But there's a whole book that one of the apostles wrote about what fellowship is, looks like, and has as its cause. An entire book devoted to that. Now, I want you to compare that thinking that we've just expressed about koinonia in the first century church. I want you to compare it to the way we sometimes use the word fellowship. In the religious world at large, we talk about fellowship halls. And and we don't use, even in that context, fellowship in its fullness. Oh, I get the idea. A fellowship hall is a place where you go and sit down and mingle with people and eat. In the the religious world at large, that's what fellowship halls are for. They're for places where you can socialize and gather. And I'm not against gathering and socializing, but I'll tell you this. I don't ever want to reach a point where when somebody says the word fellowship, I start salivating. That's a really shallow concept of what fellowship is. When I lived in Cleveland, Mississippi, there was a small coffee shop that opened. I'm not a coffee drinker, never acquired a taste for it. Envy you people who drink it, because y'all seem to have such incredible ties. It's such a different way of saying, uh, hey, let's talk about that over coffee, and saying, hey, let's talk about that over Coke. I mean, it just doesn't have the same ring to it. There was a coffee shop, and it was called the Koinonia Coffee House. Koinonia Coffee House. Now, again, again, I understand the concept, I understand what's being under discussion, but that's a, that's a fairly shallow understanding of what fellowship is. Or schools have campus fellowships. And what are those? Those are places where you go play ping pong or foosball or cornhole or any other things. It's a place where you go. There are Bible studies that take place there, but for many students on campus, it's just a place to casually get together with others. Biblical koinonia is more than sharing food. It's more than a potluck. It's more than chatting about the weekend. It is more than playing games, and it's more than making social calls. But I also want to tell you, some think spiritually, and some of you are saying, okay, Ralph, we don't do that, but I think spiritually when I think fellowship. All right, 
But I'm not sure even then we've made a very deep dive into it. Because fellowship is more than Bible study. It's more than prayer time. It is richer and more encompassing than even those concepts. Now, in an introductory lesson, I hope that what I've done, I hope what I've done is challenge you, put you back on your heels. All right, okay. I'm willing to listen. That's all I want from you. A willingness to say, okay, Ralph, prove it. Let's talk about the word koinonia as it is translated. Different words is translated uh, participation or part participation. It's translated by the word partnership, sharing, and the word that we've been using, fellowship. This same word is used in all those New Testament words. It is translated by all of those ideas. And, and to summarize it in, in just a few minutes for you, I, I want to consider what that means as we look at those words and the concept that we're talking about. First of all, koinonia indicates a common purpose, a sharing in something, sharing in something. I can give you a really good example, I think. We were out last night, um, Roger and Debbie and I, and we happened to be in a restaurant at the time that the Kentucky Derby ran. And when the horse had won, I, I don't remember which horse it was. It had four legs and it was dark colored. Maybe you, that helps. When, the, when that horse won, they, they panned to the stands, and all the people that were in the grandstands up there, most of them were looking sad. What, 12 to 1, 14 to 1 odds or something? That's not very likely that horse would have won. So a lot of people lost money, and, and they were okay with it, but they weren't real happy. But there were some people that were jumping up and down, hugging each other, and some of them, I'm sure, didn't even know who each other was, but they both held the same ticket. They were sharing in that horse. They didn't know each other before. They didn't even know each other's names in a lot of cases. They had nothing in common except this. They shared in the winnings of a horse. Koinonia is the idea of a common purpose. I am doing something. You're doing something. Hey, we're doing this together. I'm in it. You're in it. Hey, we got something in common. So sometimes in traveling, you might overhear somebody use a phrase or they have an accent that you recognize, or they mention a town, and you go, hey, I live there, and suddenly you have a connection. Because I live there, you live there, we now share in that. Is that making sense? Okay, let me pause for a minute. There were only about four of you shook your heads, that made sense. Now I can start the whole sermon over for the rest of you. Or I can get you active. It helps me. I don't want you to become a puppet, but this really helps me. This, I like. This, I get, I get this. If, you, if you're shaking your head no, you're either agreeing with me it's a no, or you're disagreeing with me, which gives me an opportunity to go back over it, or I get this. 
I get this. You know, I don't, get, I don't understand. It gives me a chance to circle back around. So I like that. I can read that. I cannot read this. I can't read that. I don't know if I'm getting through or not. I even get this. I don't like it, but I get it. So I hope that makes sense to you. Sharing in something with somebody, that involves sharing a common life with believers. In Acts chapter 2, the passage we were looking at, those believers were sharing in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in the Lord's Supper. They were sharing that, I'm doing it, you're doing it, let's do it together. And that created the bond of fellowship that they had. You know, song leaders do that for us. Uh, we're going to sing a song. You're going to sing it, I'm going to sing it. We're singing it together. We're both in it together. And that creates a unity among us as we all sing that together. Because they were related to Christ, they were related to each other. It was an automatic. Hey, you're a Christian? I I'm a Christian too. We're sharing in Christ. That word also denotes a partnership. This word koinonia. Let me show you a really, I think, a really cool passage about that. In Luke chapter 5, I'm in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to show you some passages. You're going to start out saying, I never saw koinonia in that. But I see it now. And we're going to do that throughout this series. I'm going to point out words, and after a while, you're going to get good at that. You're going to start looking at words and go, oh, there's our word. There's koinonia. It's right there. It's not translated by the same word I was used to, but it's there. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Our word is there. Partners. The word partners is a variation of the word koinonia. How is, how, what was that? What was it saying? I'm a fisherman. You're a fisherman. Let's fish together. I'm in it, you're in it, we're in it together. In fact, I want to suggest something to you. My, my father-in-law, when he was alive, one of his favorite terms for anybody, and especially somebody he didn't know the name of, was partner. He wasn't a Texan. He was a North Floridian, but he was a country guy. And I'd, see, I'd go with him. We'd walk into a, a drugstore or a hardware store and he needed help he'd say hey partner can you help me with something and it was a way of connecting with people i want to tell you that's a really biblical term it'd be fine if brethren came into this building and they said hey partner how you doing it's a good biblical term it says we have connection we're connected to one another y'all do that often enough around here you'll start sounding like texans but it's a biblical term. They were partners in fishing. They were good at it. This guy was James. This guy John. They did it together even with their father who had a fishing business. Now, it's used in a spiritual sense, the same concept, in Philemon, that little small book that you find in your New Testament just before Hebrews. Listen to this. 
I'm in Philemon verse 17. Paul says, and here's the, here's the spiritual use of that term, because not all of you are fishermen. Paul says, if then you regard me a partner, that's the way the New American Standard renders it. If you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Hey, if I'm in this Christianity and you're in this Christianity and we're partners in it, then you do this favor for me. This, the same thing is found in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5. Same word, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The word for participation there in the gospel. Participation is our word, koinonia. He's, if I may use the word there, in view of your koinonia in the gospel. Your participation in that. You're in it, other people are in it, you're in it together. And then in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, the same concept is found. Galatians 2 verse 9, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of koinonia. You know, you may have heard the phrase before, two, two people are talking, somebody says, put her there, partner. Right hand of koinonia, fellowship. The right hand. We're, we're connecting on that. We're agreeing on that. That's the use of the term itself. So partnerships are formed to obtain a common objective. If you said to me, hey, Ralph, let's open a restaurant. I said, oh, I've always wanted to open a restaurant. That'd be cool. What are we going to do? I said, well, I've, I've always had this concept and idea of opening an all-you-can-eat liver house. I'd say, mm, I'm not in. I'm not in. I don't eat liver. I always get that in early because I'm going to be eating with some of y'all, and I just <laughs> get it in early. I'm not a lover of liver. I love mine but I don't love other liver. So we can't have a partnership. We can't put her there, partner. We're not going to do that because I'm not in it like you may be in it in that situation. But here's what our koinonia is about. Listen, I am all about glorifying God and Jesus Christ. Oh, you are too? You, you are too? Put her there, partner. Let's share in that. Let's have fellowship in that. And that fellowship will extend beyond our doing that here publicly in a corporate way. It's going to extend to other areas as we will quickly see. Koinonia is a common purpose, sharing in something with other people. But it also is a common possession it is sharing with others. Not just, I'm doing it, you're doing it, but I have something, you need something, let me give it to you. It's sharing with other people that which we have. Communion, the, the, the word communion, which we kind of limit to the Lord's Supper, but the word communion is a really good general term, is the idea of sharing things with others. 
with unity or union, calm union, with union, with, we're united together to share something. What do we share with others? We share teaching. That Koinonia coffee house that I told you about in Mississippi when I lived there, I, I used to go in there because I thought this is a good place for me to make contact with people. Well, the very first time I walked in, I had been, I'm so thankful, I had been at the church building and I had been engaged in a personal study that I was doing at the time. I walked into the building, that coffee house, and I sat up at the counter by myself and they were, gave me a Coke and I was starting to nurse the Coke there while I sat. And a guy slid up onto the counter next to me, he sat on the stool next to me, and he had his Bible and he pushed it over in front of me and here's what he said. Share something God's been teaching you. Share something God's been teaching you. Now, I want you to think about two things. Now, I, I was lucky that I had just been studying something that was really fresh. So I immediately went into it. Could you do that and do we have the wherewithal to share with each other? Wouldn't our koinonia be priceless if, if we could do something like this? Not doing it, don't, don't panic and don't go into action. Just an, a, a, an example. If we said, hey, for the next five minutes, turn to the person next to you and share something God's been teaching you in the Bible this week. Wouldn't it be incredible if all, this whole place was a buzz with people saying, oh, oh, I saw this the other day. I was reading this. This is such a cool idea. So-and-so was telling me about this. I want to pass it on to you. Wouldn't that make for a wonderful union with each other? They were sharing together the spiritual truths that God had for them. I'll tell you what else they were sharing. God's love. God's love. God loves me. I love you. Let me share that love with you in very practical terms. Not just words. Not just emotions. Action. Active love. Let me share that with you. Not I'm sharing in God's love and you're in God's love, therefore we both have God's love. But I've got God's love and I want to pass it on to you. I want to show you how Christ can love you through me. Encouragement. I, I love the statement, and we're going to come back to this in a later lesson, but the Apostle Paul says at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he says, that God comforts us, I'm paraphrasing it for you now, God comforts us with the comfort with which we are able to comfort others also. There is a sense in which what we share with others is what we've been through ourselves. So, if somebody were to say, for, as, as a trite example, 
Have you ever been skydiving? Because I went this past week, and I'm telling you, it is both terrifying and one of the most exhilarating things I've ever done in my life. I'd have to say, i got to take your word for it. I've never done that. I have never jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. But for a person who's been there and done that, they're in right away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you first jump out and you feel this and all the winds going through your face and distorting your features and whatever it may be, you're in it because you felt that. And the person is sharing what they have with you so that you reap some benefit from that. So as we are encouraged, as we are ministered to, we learn to minister to others in the same way. That is koinonia. It's sharing with others common possession, things that we have. It's what they shared in common. It's what they koinonia'd together in their life. Now, now. The, the hard question, what is it we have in common the most? Well, if we went by our conversations, it might not be the Lord by our conversations. I know you know the right answer. You would say, well, God, Jesus Christ, salvation. But is that what we share the most? And here, listen, you might say, yeah, in here, you're not going to hear Roger. You're not going to hear Jason. They don't talk about sports. They don't talk about politics. They don't talk about the condition of the world. They don't talk about inflation. They don't talk about cars. They don't talk about cooking. They don't talk about restaurants. They don't do that from here. They might mention it, but it's very clear. That's not the main thing here. Okay, I get that, but what about out there? What about out there? What do we talk about most out there? I'm not necessarily pointing to a particular place, though the foyer is a good place to start. I'm just talking about outside these Walls of this assembly. What do we have most in common? What do we share that is our common possession? What we all have. Because listen, we're not all Republicans. We're not all Democrats. We're not all socialists. And we're not all capitalists. And we're not all rich. And we're not all poor. We're not all formally educated. Nor have a lot of common sense. We're not all that, but I'll tell you what we all are here. People needing salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we need most. And that's what we should be sharing most. Is that what we share? Is that what we talk about? I want, to, I want to offer one more thought, and then we're going to bring the lesson to a close. We, we typically talk about the work of the church as being a triune work, a, a threefold work. We say our, our job as a church, our work as a church, our commission as a church is to save the lost, to keep the saved saved, and to take care of the saints in benevolence. We sometimes call it evangelism, edification, and benevolence. We talk about that. Look, I want to tell you up front, I don't have any problem with delineating the work of the saints in that way. But I want to suggest something to you. 
The more I study this idea of koinonia, the more I come to this conclusion. The saints clearly shared material things with each other. In Acts chapter 2, you will find there was not a person in need among them. They took care of each other in the family of God. Chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. We're to take care of each other. And we're talking in that particular sense of physical needs. The saints did that. We call that benevolence, and I think it's a good, good term to use of that. But I want to suggest, I don't know that that's a delineated work of the church as much as it is a natural extension of the koinonia we ought to have with each other. I shouldn't have to tell you Nobody should have to tell you, you have brothers and sisters that are in need and you have the wherewithal to help, go help them. You shouldn't have to be told that. You should do that on the same basis my mother constantly forced me to share everything with my sister. She would say, hey, they, they gave you that box of candy. Share it with your sister. And the first few times I tried, why? And the answer always came back, she's your sister. That's it. That's the only answer I ever got. She's your sister. You got brethren in this congregation that have needs? You meet those needs. Why do you meet those needs? Why do you do that? Because they're your brother or your sister. Period. That's it. It's not, well, God tells us we have to do it. It is a natural response of people who treat each other as family. It's just natural. And, and how long do you do that? And how often do you do that? And to what degree do you do that? You do it till the need's met. You do that. Because that's what family is about. That's what it means to be a fellow disciple of Jesus Christ. Koinonia. Common purpose, sharing in something with others, and a common possession, sharing what I have with somebody else. I got it, you need it, it's yours. I love this expression. I'll leave it with you. When I lived in Mississippi, I asked a guy one time, I said, hey, I don't know, could, could you... Loan me a car. Mine is out of commission. It's going to be for a couple of days. Can you loan me a car while my car is out of commission? And here was the expression he used. Hey, as long as I got a biscuit, you got half. Says it all. In the body of Christ, as long as I got a biscuit, you got half. That's what it means to share. That's what fellowship is. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And it may be, it may be, listen, you might be in this audience and you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You, you're a seeker, you're a searcher, you're, you're wanting something deeper in your life. I'm telling you, here's where it is. I don't mean here as in geographic proximity to it. I mean it is in the things we're talking about today. 
we can share in this salvation. There is enough to go around. The blood of Jesus is efficacious for every person on the face of the earth. Thank God. And if you're in need of salvation, you're in need of forgiveness of your sins, Jesus is offering that. But it may also be that what you're needing are people to the right of you who care and people who care for your soul. The body of Christ provides that. Sharing in that salvation together and sharing with each other what we need and what we can supply so that all of us can share the koinonia, the fellowship of God and His people, and find those who care for our souls. I believe you can find that this morning if you'll come to Jesus Christ. If you'll come name Him Lord, turn away from your old life, come into this body of believers, and let them embrace you with the koinonia that we're talking about this week. If we can help you with that, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing this song.